If your business is tired of paying unpredictable and high phone bills, do what I did. Switch to Zoom Call's cloud business phone service. You'll pay the same low amount every month, no matter how many calls you have in the U.S. and Canada. And Zoom Calls has a really cool feature called voicemail drops. Whenever you reach someone's voicemail, just say hi in their name and then click a couple of buttons on your phone to leave your pre-recorded message. It saves both your voice and your time. Check out zoomcalls.com. That's zoomcalls.com. I think you'll love it. Attention, you're listening to the Todd Huff Radio Show, America's home for conservative, not bitter talk radio. Be advised that the content of this program has been documented to prevent and even cure liberalism, and listening may cause you to lean to the right. Here's your conservative, but not bitter host, Todd Huff. That is right. You are listening to a special Election Day coverage of the 2020 2020 election. It is here. It is upon us. And it is, folks, just an overall fascinating uh, day, time of year, opportunity to be uh, to be an American, to be an American, to be able to cast our ballots For the candidate that we uh, desire to have, well, not just for president, but for president, for Senate, not in Indiana, but for Senate in most states, many states, for governor, for everything up and down the ballot. And those ballots, those offices down the ballot matter tremendously as well as we spoke with Daniel Elliott of the local my local Republican Party yesterday, and nothing wrong with looking at a straight Republican ticket here in 2020. I mean, we're at a point in time where the ideology of the left has infiltrated all levels of government, folks. This party has been taken over by the leftists, and I tell you this, if they don't win this, if they don't win this election, if Biden doesn't win, if they don't win the Senate— if, if somehow Republicans win the House as well, which again statistically is um, not very likely, but if that is the case, prepare for the party to have another fight over you know, who controls it. Will the moderates, will the blue dog Democrats make a resurgence or will this be – will this become a modern-day straight-up socialist party for uh, the foreseeable future? So – Lots of things hanging in the balance today. Welcome to the program. I am your host, Todd Huff. Email Todd at ToddHuffShow.com, Facebook, where we're streaming the program at least as long as they permit us to. So far, so good. Here this morning, also on YouTube, Twitter, as well. And, of course, you can catch us, uh, the video stream of the program, live on our website as well, ToddHuffShow.com. You may li- you may notice if you're – I was at one of our – Advertisers the other day, Freegee and Freegee, gave me a new hat. Gave me a hat. Asked me if I'd wear it on the show. I said, you know what, I think I will. And I don't know that uh, you could wear it any better than I <laughs> than I have it on this morning. I'm just teasing. But anyway, folks, it's a big, very important day here in uh, 2020. This is, I mean, these are monumental times. You know, I 
as a as a geek of sorts who's followed this stuff for many many years. Of course, I studied this stuff at Butler University Political Science. I am I imagine like most of you as well. Days like today make me both proud and uh, just very thankful that I'm an American, that we have this ability to go out and to cast our ballot in a, I mean, look, there are certainly problems. I don't want to gloss over them because some of these problems are legitimately big and problematic and concerning, and they must be addressed. We are in a fight for the survival of our constitutional republic, and it is not being attacked and assaulted by the president. It's being attacked and assaulted by another political party that's been taken over by radical, anti-constitutional, anti-free enterprise, anti-capitalist, anti-American in many cases, radical leftists, socialists, and the like. Heck, some communists are tossed in there today. It's becoming more and more in vogue for these folks to say such things, for these folks to claim more radical ideas. Things that were not part of the mainstream in the Democrat Party even four years ago are now in the mainstream. This is a radical party. Kamala Harris, who apparently says her name differently than they tell the rest of us we must say it, she, Kamala Harris, is has been voted, has been declared to be the most liberal senator in the U.S. Senate. And that wasn't just Pence who made that up on the spot. This is a real thing, a real threat, a real problem. And that is what is on this ballot today. And I've gotten messages already this morning. You know, it's fascinating to me. A lot of folks voted early. I voted early. I think I voted last, I think I voted last Tuesday. A lot of folks did vote early. Some states have already eclipsed their Texas, for example, eclipsed their total vote in 2016 with the early vote, early vote alone. I've had people texting me this morning. One friend texted me about a half an hour, about 40 minutes ago now, saying that there were about 150 people in front of him already, and that was 30 minutes before the polls were to open. Another friend texted and said that the line was wrapped virtually around um, the building and almost back to the road. So again, expect that today. Expect that today. A lot of Repu- – this is the day that Republicans traditionally – well, it's the day traditionally everybody voted. But this is really the day that Republican – the Republican vote has the biggest impact. And that's why and I've got a, another friend who looks at these projections and he looks at the numbers and he analyzes it. A smart dude. I don't get into this, and I'll tell you why. I mean I'll glance at it. I, I pay a little bit of attention. I'll, I recognize that the polls play some – they have some purpose, but the problem is we just don't have any idea. There's assumptions, there's models, there's people making projections and predictions based upon turnout, how many people are going to be doing what, how many people are going to be voting on election day, how many of those people statistically are going to vote for the Republican candidate if they're Republican, how many are going to vote for the Democrat candidate if they are a Democrat, on and on this goes. On and on this goes. I don't get into that. I just, again, um, I follow this. I follow the narrative. I'm more interested in in talking about why, 
why why we should make the decision instead of predicting what decision people are going to make. I think it's in some degree, to, to some extent, a, a crapshoot. That being said, that being said, I think that there are plenty of reasons to be optimistic about a President Trump victory today. Far from we're far from the point of being able to say that it's a guarantee. We're far from the point of saying yeah, it's an actual prediction. We're far from the point of saying uh, that Biden can't win. However, all those things being taken into account, I think it's this again, I believe that I would rather be team Trump today than team Biden as I look at this map because because I think that a lot of these things that they're crossing their fingers on are simply not going to happen. I do not believe that Texas is going to go blue. I do not believe that Georgia is going to go blue. I do not believe that Florida is going to go blue. I do not believe North Carolina is going to go blue. That could be the case. I think out of all those states, North Carolina is perhaps the most uh, likely or possible to go blue. Um, I think Florida looks, again, based upon what we're seeing, and more and more pollsters are saying this, they're still clearly in the minority. But it's not just the Cahaley group, or uh, the Trafalgar group and Robert Cahaley. It is, there's, there's multiple folks echoing these same sentiments. Trump last night in Michigan, just again, to me, the proof is where are these folks actually out there doing their work on the eve of the election? Biden was in Ohio for a little bit, but I think that that was more of a symbolic gesture than anything. He was in Cleveland, but they've been spending most of their time in Pennsylvania. Trump has spent a lot of time in Pennsylvania. Trump has spent a lot of time in Wisconsin. Trump has spent a lot of time in Michigan. Trump has spent some time in Minnesota and Iowa. Folks, these are the states. He's been in North Carolina and Florida as well, but these are the states to pay attention to. These are the states to pay close attention to. And by the way, we will be paying close attention to these states tonight. We're going to be doing a special election night coverage of of the returns, uh, of the returns on our program. Special election night coverage is going to start tonight at 9 p.m. on Freedom 95. Um, And that will also be streaming on multiple platforms as, as well. Uh, Facebook, YouTube. Again, as long as they let us do this, who knows? They're they're getting censor happy here as we get close close to the election. So just make sure if you want to tune in, which of course you should, you make sure that you tune in. Uh, if you're if you're having trouble finding us on Facebook or one of those social platforms, that you can always go to our website or well, it's just toddhuffshow.com, or you can tune in um on freedom 95 95.9 fm 9:50 a.m in central indiana um as well where you can find the freedom 95 app on TuneIn, which is uh which is free to listen to i believe it's a free free service you can check it out there as well that's anywhere around the world and we'll be looking at returns we'll be talking about what it means we'll be analyzing some things and Really just um, talking about this as it, as it happens in real time. And I'm excited. I am excited. I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. And I do believe that this is I, – I, I feel good about this in many ways. And I, I hesitate because, again, there's, there's no way to predict how some people are going to vote. But I really do. I really do feel better today than I did four years ago, 2016. 
In 2016, I felt like Trump was going to win, but in my head, I couldn't figure out exactly how. Today, I feel like Trump is going to win this thing, and in my head, I can see the path to how he can do that. I can also see where he can't do that, where Biden gets a a victory, where he, he kind of runs a straight across the Rust Belt winning Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota, maybe picking up something like North Carolina. I know there's concerns about Arizona as well. But folks, there is so much to talk about. We've got we've got the civil unrest portion of this. We've got the civil unrest portion of this. I have a friend who lives in a downtown, lives in downtown in you know Indianapolis. And, you know, there there's legitimate questions. Should what's gonna happen downtown? What's going to happen if Trump wins? I think someone told me, a friend told me that there's already buildings being boarded up downtown. I had not seen that here in Indy yet. I've seen that in New York City and Washington, D.C. and Seattle and Portland. Of course, many of those places probably never became unboarded after the riots uh, earlier this summer, which uh, amazingly do not cause any COVID spread. It's a remarkable thing. But if you... um, if you look at what's happening around these cities, people are preparing. In fact, I saw one. I saw one group that was putting up ply, uh, plywood on their windows. This was not in Indy, somewhere else, and they were on the uh, plywood had painted "We support BLM." So we, folks, we know who's who's organizing these rights. We know who the shop owners, the businesses are preparing to see come into their communities. It's not the Tea Party. It's not this mythical group of rogue white supremacists running around cities. It is Black Lives Matter or people who are, you know, hijacking that particular movement or whatever. It's not it's it's Antifa. It's the left. It's not uh it's not Trump supporters, which reminds me of the incident that team biden had in texas again i don't know if you saw that there's a video of this team biden one of the one of the i don't know if it's one of the people on his campaign or what had you said that they were uh the the bus was surrounded by trump a trump parade basically trump trucks and flags oh i think you probably have seen this if you haven't that's what happened as they were i think they were somewhere in texas and biden's team had to cancel other events because this was so so scary for them one of the vehicles with the biden bus a biden supporter bus says that a trump truck ran him off the road except the problem is there's a video there and the video shows that the trump truck was getting pushed out of its lane and was actually actually the contact was made was fighting for position to keep from getting run off the road itself it's not it's clearly not what was, was being told to us at first. But get ready for more stories like this. Get ready for more you know, angst and anxiety and tension in the cities. Get ready. God forbid. I mean, I just, folks, if Trump wins this, you can take it to the bank that there will be unrest. There will be violence. There will be looting. There will be all sorts of things. And, of course, these liberal governors and mayors will do next to nothing to stop it yet again. You can almost take these things firmly to the bank. It doesn't matter what percentage Trump gets. In fact, they've created a scenario now in these polls to where 
They've convinced many liberals, many radicals, many members of Antifa, many folks that would be taking up the banner of violence in these cities. They've convinced them that the only way Trump can win is if he steals the election again. And after investing four years now in the stupid uh, uh, (laughs) Russia-Trump collusion scandal, spit it out there, Todd. After spending four years talking about that, they have built this almost expectation that, yeah, that's what's going to happen again. Meanwhile, who's the ones Who's the ones that are engaged in all sorts of things being exposed by Project Veritas? And I mean, the, the list goes on and on here as to what we're looking at. But there, there are a lot of scenarios, a lot of uh, fallout that is scheduled that, well, maybe literally scheduled by some of these groups to take place should Trump win this thing as I think he's positioned to do at least have a darn good shot at doing tonight and I hope to be able to I hope to be able to report that later tonight but I just look we just we don't know some of these ballots are going to come in for days and as I've said from the beginning you can mark these words you can etch them in stone the democrats will know that this election is over and that all the votes have been counted the very second that Biden gets one more vote than Trump that's when we'll know that's when they will know that this is over until then, if it's close, they will keep counting and recounting and finding ballots probably stuffed in trunks of cars, probably in classrooms, probably on the side of the street. Heck, you might want to check your closet at home, only if you're a Democrat probably. They won't allow a Republican to do such a thing, but be ready for this. Be, re- be ready for lawsuits, fights over deadlines, fights over which sorts of ballots should count. Ballots coming in coming in days and weeks later. In some cases, expect a legal battle if these if these um, states are close. Michigan, for example, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, maybe other states as well. So, so much to talk about. So little time. In fact, it's time for us to take our first time out here. So we'll do that, and when we get back, uh, continue our discussion here. I've also got. Um, an interview I want to play with you, share with you about the importance of healthcare. You know, there's a lot of legitimate issues in this election that are candidly not being able to even get a second of, of airtime because of all the craziness, all the craziness we're seeing uh, out there, all of the rallies, all of the um, all the lawsuits, all of the uh, projections. Everyone's enamored with who's going to win all these states and so forth. But there's other legitimate issues, and I want. And one of those is is healthcare. I mean, we've got a party whose candidates who want to take this uh, nation further and further left, give more and more control of the government to our system, to our healthcare system, and we're going to share a conversation as to why that's not a good idea and what are some things that we can do as a as a country to embrace the concepts of free enterprise in our healthcare system as well. So lots and lots to get to. Quick timeout is in order though. You're listening here to the home of conservative, not bitter talk. I am your host Todd Huff back here in just a minute. Welcome back. I know that there are some folks out there that are still last-minute deciders here in this election, which, um, I mean, I, I, I appreciate the, the thoughtfulness. I, I don't understand 
how someone can truly be undecided at this particular phase in the election. Folks, we have two diametrically opposed ideologies on the ballot. I've said this before, and I'll tell you why I cast my vote proudly for President Donald J. Trump and his uh, campaign to give him four more years as our president. There are many, many reasons. Number one, I don't want to... I don't even know the order, but let's just say the first the first reason I think about the role of government. And part of the role of government is to eliminate the bureaucratic state and return power, take power back away from Washington, D.C., and return it to the states and to the people. President Trump is doing that. Part of recalibrating, if you will, our government is getting Supreme Court justices on that court who interpret the law, who do not legislate. You see, our founders were brilliant insofar as, well, lots of reasons, but one of the reasons is the way that they created this system of checks and balances. There is a legislature, a bicameral legislature that has the House and the Senate. So there's, there's, you know, there's, that was set up. I don't want to go into all that about representation and each state getting two senators, but also getting representatives based on the population. But there's there's two houses of, of government in the legislature. They must pass identical legislation with the majority approval and get that to the president for his or her signature. And they the, the legislature makes laws. The president uh, by and large in, enforces laws and does you know uh, manages foreign relations is our leader, is our commander-in-chief. And then we've got the judicial branch, which is supposed to interpret the laws. President Trump is helping our Supreme Court, helping our judiciary return to such an, uh, su- such a branch of, of government. President Trump believes in cutting taxes. That is important. What you earn belongs first and foremost to you. You should not get what the state or what the federal government tells you you can have after you fund all of the wacky and out-of-control programs and ideas and utopian promises that they give you. I am 100% on board with tax cuts, and again, that is one way to return power to the people. President Trump is right on the issues of guns and the Second Amendment, the right of the people to keep and bear arms, shall not be infringed by our federal government. President Trump is correct in that. He is a very pro-gun president, pro-legal, pro-gun freedom. This doesn't mean people want to to, uh, say, that. oh, he's in favor of gun violence and silly stuff like that. No, no, that's not what this is about at all. This is about the right of the people given by their creator to protect themselves from any threat up to and including their their government. President Trump is strong on the Second Amendment. He's very strong on the First Amendment. You see states and governors around this country like Gavin Newsom in California telling people they can't go to church. It's remarkable. You can't go to church. You can't sing at church. That might spread the virus, but you can go to the Walmart and the Chuck E. Cheese and all these other things. Maybe not Chuck E. Cheese out there, but President Trump is free, uh, pro-freedom of religion, pro-First Amendment. It's ironic. President Trump's actually very pro-First Amendment. They've they've maligned him to say he's against the freedom of the press, when all that really means is the 
press can't put on their big boy and big girl pants and fight back when the president criticizes them. President Trump, I mean, there's lots of reasons, folks. Those are just the ones at the top, and I've got to take a break because I want to make sure that I get to this interview. I want, you know, health care is on the, on the ballot as well, but this is a, a contrast of ideologies, dramatic contrast, one that says we are going to go towards liberty, freedom, the founding of this country, the Constitution, the Declaration, the individual. You're a citizen, not a subject. You get to keep your, you know, keep and bear arms. A pro-life president. That's in one, one category. The other category is the great statists, the statists who believe that government owns, uh, government has the answer to all of your problems, and your job is to comply. You are in fact a subject. That's the way they look at you, a subject, a cog in the wheel. You're just one of many for the cause of the the great socialistic cause. And if only conservatives and limited government types would get out of the way, they would probably cure every problem, every ill on planet Earth if just given enough time, money, opportunity, and no opposition from those crazy conservatives. The socialists, the communists, this is where they congregate. They are takers. They believe that what you produce is not yours. In fact, it belongs to somebody else. And they will, in fact, tell you who it belongs to. They will tell you the best form of health care. They will tell you how much you should make. They will tell you what's equitable. They will tell you that if government can only intervene here and there, everything would just be perfectly harmonious in our society. They're not pro-Second Amendment. They're not pro First Amendment. In fact, these are the folks that are silencing you, silencing conservatives on platforms like Facebook. They don't want to hear opposing ideas because that is not what government allows for. This is what's on the ballot, folks. And I got to take a break. Got to take a break long in this segment. You're listening here to the home of conservative, not better talk. I am your host, Todd Huff. Back here in just a minute. Welcome back really quickly here. Very, very short segment. Number one, number one, I want to congratulate Jim. Jim was our winner, was our winner for the, uh, what do I want to say, to be our guest tonight at the Freedom 95 studios. So I'm looking forward to meet Jim and uh, during election night coverage. Thank you. Um, Thank you, Jim. And we just, uh, again, look forward to, to meeting you. And again, this was to coincide with our CNBU early uh, early enrollment kickoff program to get our conservative, not bitter university up to date. You can find uh, uh, more information will come as we plan to launch that. Uh, that'll launch in December. First courses. Number one. Number two, folks, if you haven't voted, I know there could be long lines today, but just get out. Just get out and vote. This is going to come down to turnout. This is the day that conservatives and Republicans around the nation typically flock to the polls. This is a beautiful thing, and this needs to be uh, – we need to, to take care of this. We need to get this – President Trump reelected. We need to get Republicans up and down ballot. We need to consider Donald Rainwater for libertarian and uh, for governor here in the state of Indiana. He's the, the lone exception, at least on my ballot, that I think uh, – I hope those of you listening to my voice will at least consider him. But Folks, this is an important day, big, big day, and we'll be on tonight from 9, starting at 9 on Freedom 95, so check us out. Quick timeout, come back and share a bit of an interview. You're listening to my 
uh, election day coverage here on the Todd Huff Show. Be back in. Be back in just a minute. Folks, I'm going to share this interview with you, Chris Haybig of Freedom HealthWorks. And healthcare is on the ballot too, so enjoy this conversation. I got to squeeze this in, folks. Here we go. Well, I know it's hard to everything that's becoming. A focal point of this election, all the issues and arguments and debates and emails and all sorts of stuff. But healthcare is important in this upcoming election. And so I'm happy to have with us today Chris Haybig. He is the CEO and founder of Freedom HealthWorks. Chris, thank you for joining the program. How are you today? I'm doing very well, Todd. Always a pleasure to chat. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. And healthcare is an important part of this election, even though we don't necessarily see that in the debates and ads and so forth. You may see here and there some things, but there's so many other things vying for our attention. How important is healthcare in this election? I think it's very important. It's something that affects us every single day. And you know, I just want to be clear on terminology that a lot of the debate at the federal level focuses on that term healthcare. And I want to draw a stark contrast to what they're actually talking about. Um, you know, dating back 10, 12 years to the ACA and Obamacare, all they were talking about is health insurance reform and how to pay for access to an already bloated system. And so I just really always tell people that, that, you know, health care, health insurance and health coverage does not equal medical care. And so, you know, I really wish people would focus on medical care and how the interaction between a patient and a physician plays out in everyday life. And I just don't think we're talking about that, talking about the right type of things, because too many people are confusing health insurance with, with a good personal relationship with a physician that they're able to build trust with and build a relationship with. And you know, that gets caught up in the pandemic. And, and I, I think that a lot of people were just left on the sidelines. And the worst thing they could do is go to Google or ask, you know, WebMD what symptoms are, and then look at a lot of the tabloid medicine and a lot of the headlines that are coming out that are really scare tactics. And I think it froze people for a good couple of months there during the pandemic. And then to see both, you know, the, the president and the Democratic nominee they kind of gloss over this stuff and pointing fingers. I mean, it doesn't do anybody uh, any good whatsoever. Yeah, the pandemic has certainly illuminated some even more problems than we already um, had or didn't realize that we had. So you, you touch on something that I was going to ask you about specifically, health care and health insurance. I guess talk a little bit more um, about those differences, the difference between actually getting quality health uh, care, having access to that health care, having experts uh, that you can talk with and actually deal with directly versus the paying side? Who's going to pay for this, the red tape, the bureaucracy, and all that sort of stuff? Maybe maybe talk a little bit more in detail about that for us. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in my opinion, I think health insurance and health coverage is one of the most discriminatory practices that we have in existence in the United States. Um, you know, that, that really hits the headlines again with a lot of the social unrest that's happening in the summer. But then you look at healthcare as something that everybody needs. And so when you have health insurance plans, or if it's Medicare or Medicaid, 
and you are limiting people's choices from a free market standpoint and saying, oh, you need to go see these doctors and you can't go see these doctors. It's really head scratching when you break it down to a very simple engagement like that. There's no reason why somebody couldn't or, or isn't able to seek care from any physician that they want to and be able to pay them either, you know, the old school kind of barter way or in a very clear, transparent price. Um, so much of that has been muddied based on just the pure domination and, and really the oligarchy type of a payment system that we have set up where, you know, the government already paid for about 60% or more of any type of medical bill. And then the big four insurance companies pay for the rest of it. So it's already inching towards monopoly. And Todd, as sure as you know, all the listeners understand that the only person who wins in a monopoly is a monopolist. Everybody That's else right. loses, and we're losing right now as healthcare consumers and patients. Yeah, and you, you touch on some. Inter- I guess I'll ask a couple of um, some some issues in healthcare that I see. Again, you're the you're the expert, but how big of an issue is say transparency in the healthcare system? It's a big issue. There's a reason why large hospital systems and large insurers are suing the federal government to prevent new guidelines coming out where they say that you have to pl- publish your prices. Uh, that should be a big tip of the hat right there that they don't want transparency. Um, you know, they claim that there are trade secrets and secret negotiations happening. And again, we as individuals and we as patients lose when a lot of that free market principles and the competition die in the darkness. You're absolutely right. In fact, you remind me in speaking with you, I several uh, several years ago when my son was was younger we took him for a pediatrician checkup and we were in the process of changing insurance companies and i told my wife just just pay for the bill in full it's just a checkup it was like 75 i don't remember 75 bucks or something and she tried to do that and the lady at the doctor's office looked at her like she was from another planet and she said i can't accept your pay- i can't accept your payment <laughs> and of yeah. course we had the money she did, it, it was so foreign to them so maybe maybe talk about that just the whole you i mean what other industry exists chris that you go to get a product or a service you go to pay for it what you what you owe and then they say i can't <laughs> i can't take that i guess talk a little bit about that as well Yeah, for most people, their first experience with any type of medical professional, the first question they get asked before they even get to explain why they're calling is, what's your insurance? And based on that answer, if you ask what the price is, the follow-up is, well, it depends. And no other American consumer is going to go out and look at buying any other type of product with the answer being, well, it depends. I mean, could you imagine walking into a department store and looking at a bunch of different types of detergent and not knowing what the price is until you get to the register? Exactly. And then it depends what credit card you're paying with. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it, it's, uh, it's pure insanity, Todd. It, it really, really is. And I'm not faulting the offices and the physicians and the people who are really trying to care for us. Um, we are big at Freedom HealthWorks on the patient-physician relationship and removing all those barriers to care. But the way that the third-party system is set up right now is there are about four or five people on the administrative side who sit in between that interaction between a patient and a physician. And they all view that as a transaction rather than a conversation that a patient should be having with their doctor. And until we understand that from a, a psychological standpoint, I don't know if it changes for the better anytime soon when we stop trying to bill for episodic care 
and realize that the human body, no two people are alike. They're not going to have the same issues. And that's where you need to have that more conversational relationship with your trusted physician. So, and we'll get to what you do specifically, but I have one other question. And I, I feel like COVID, maybe um, what we've seen with COVID should highlight your point exactly because you have some people that have contracted COVID and it's deadly. And, you know, it puts them in the emergency room and, you know, it's fatal. And the other folks walk around not even knowing that they have it. And so you're, you're right. There's uh, medicine, medical care is a, it really depends upon the patient and all bunch of other factors that it requires a professional uh, and an understanding of the individual to uh, to get to the bottom of the issue and how to how to fix it. So, what are some market driven solutions that will either improve the quality of healthcare um, as we have it here in the U.S., uh, drive down the cost, or po- uh, possibly even both? What are some things that we can do to head in the right direction? Yeah, yeah. And before I get to that, I will say that the COVID pandemic, a lot of physicians and experienced nurses lost their jobs because the hospitals weren't able to gain a profit off of their practice anymore because they couldn't see people in a face-to-face manner. So then we have the rise of telemedicine, which always shocks me why we call it telemedicine, because I don't think I've ever called an accountant to do my taxes or talk to an attorney over the phone, and they call it teleaccounting or telelaw. Why in the world do we call it telehealth or telemedicine? It shows how far be, behind uh, the eight ball the rest of the healthcare industry is. And that is because of anti-competitive practices. Mm-hmm. So what we can do, you know, to directly answer your question, what we can do is really pressure a lot of these hospital systems to stop their anti-competitive behavior. Um, we see abusive non-compete come down in physician contracts. Um, because physicians just don't have enough business education through school. And so they get out through residency and a lot of these teaching hospitals just slot them directly into a position and lock them up with, you know, potentially two year non-competes and 25 mile non-competes. And that means, you know, a lot of these people have to move almost to a different state or different area just to be a doctor still. And so that breaks down the continuity of care as well. If I'm a, if I'm a patient, all of a sudden my physician just vanishes. And the hospital that I used to go see just treats them like, you know, a, per, a persona non gratis. That's very confusing to me. So what we do in the direct primary care world is, again, break down all those barriers. Um, the physicians that we work with are able to charge around an average of $80 a month, really for all you can access medical care at the primary care level. It kind of blows people's minds because they're, again, used to patting themselves on the back if they are able to tough things out. And I think that's what we saw a lot with COVID. If people weren't seeking treatment or they're seeking treatment too late, that happens quite often, unfortunately. And that builds costs downstream as people need to go you know, to hospitals and see different types of specialists. But we've really forgotten that the, the primary care physician is the key to being healthier and then driving costs down in the industry in general. So just kind of in summary, we have to emphasize primary care and a relationship with primary care physicians. You know, kind of having a, a primary care doctor on speed dial is going to do a lot for you and your family and not using the ER urgent care as the first line of medical care. Um, that means that a lot of these practices that we work with, they publish their, web, their prices on the website. And that's really unheard of in medicine at this point in time. And that's really a shame. Um, what that also does is allow doctors to price locally. You know, the problem with big insurance and big government healthcare 
is that no matter what the socioeconomic situation is in your town, whether it's rural America, suburban America, or a downtown uh, kind of urban environment, those insurance and government programs price everything the exact same. And you price a lot of people out of accessing that care, kind of like we talked about before. So, you know, again, to summarize it, it's all about transparency. It's all about letting doctors be doctors and then letting patients and physicians form a relationship in order to achieve kind of this systemic, wholesome, whole body, whole person uh, health and achieve those goals in a very affordable, very achievable way. Well, it makes sense. I mean, it, it definitely makes sense. And if someone is interested in, in looking into, um, you know, working with you or finding out more information, how would they go about doing that, Chris? As with anything these days, uh, visit us at freedomhealthworks.com. Uh, we have a ton of resources out there to explain really what membership or subscription-based medicine and healthcare really is. And, uh, you know, we just shout it from the mountaintops that health insurance does not equal medical care. And the faster that we all realize that as a population, the better off we're going to be. Well, I appreciate you sharing that and and what you're doing. And this is, you know, everybody, again, like you said, it's an individual. um, We need to be, look at these things as individuals and make decisions that are best for ourselves without a bureaucratic state, especially all the way in Washington, D.C., trying to make a one-size-fits-all solution for everyone. So I admire what you're doing. You're doing, you're implementing principles that allow the market, um, to, the free market to work. And that's really at the core of what it means to be a conservative. So I'm glad uh, that you've been able to come on and, and enlighten us a little bit about some of the problems with health care. It is an important issue here in the 2020 election, even though um, there's a lot of other issues that are maybe overshadowing it. But it's definitely something that affects every single American And I appreciate, Chris, you taking the time to share with us. I appreciate it. Uh, Keep up the good work. It's always a pleasure to chat. All right. Thanks, Chris. Have a great day. Welcome back, folks. Here we are. Here we are in the... Election Day. I mean, I've got uh, folks texting me who have voted this morning. It's an exciting thing. Long lines all around. That does not, unfortunately for the left, and fortunately for us, that does not intimidate Republicans and conservatives who have not voted yet in 2020. Make your way to those polls. Cast your ballots for Donald J. Trump. Vote red down that ballot again. You can consider casting the ballot for, I hope you do, consider casting the a vote for Donald Rainwater for governor here in the state of Indiana. But, folks, we've got to win this election. This is critical. This is important. This, uh, So many things hang in the balance here. Turnout looks as though it's going to be off the charts, and it's a beautiful thing to be a part of. And I'll tell you why it's beautiful, because most times, most times Americans throughout history have come together to make the right decision, sometimes by razor-thin margins. You know, I look back at American history, and I think back to the uh, the lessons of, of even the Revolutionary War. Folks, there were – think about this. There were people, lots of people who didn't want to fight this. Some were loyal to the king. Some just wanted nothing to do with any conflict. But folks, when the time came, the colonists did what was necessary to 
secure their freedom. And I think here this time at the voting booth, I'm not calling for armed rebellion this time, folks. Don't take my words out of context, but Americans will do the same. But I've got to wrap up. Join us tonight, 9 p.m. SDGC. Then take care.